podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You are very welcome to the latest installment of the Stretty Cast. I'm Sean Connolly, and as always, joined by my partner in crime, the congenial Mr. Dale O'Donnell. Just so happens to be the opening show of 2023, and there is so much to digest. We're going to be diving into Manchester United's return to the top four, and with that, reviewing a successful trip to the often difficult Molyneux. With the football coming thick and fast, we'll also venture toward Tuesday and the visit of Bournemouth. There's also performances of Marcus Rashford, Casemiro, and the return of a certain Aaron Juan Bissaka. That and your questions on the Stratycast. Dale, we're only a day into 2023. Things already look a little bit brighter. Following victory against Wolves, there was points dropped by City, Newcastle, Spurs. And right before we began talking, Chelsea have just dropped points against Forest. It's a game week that's seen United climb into fourth. Two points by Newcastle with a game in hand. Just what did you make it a win in the often frustrating West Midlands? Yeah, look, it's, I think it's the first time um, ever we've recorded three away wins on the trot at Molyneux. So it, and that goes to show that it's been a tricky ground for United in the years. And I think under Ten Hag um, and under previous managers, we've seen these kind of records against smaller teams or stats pop up that... United haven't been beaten against this team since blah, 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 and these horrible stats. Now we're starting to see better stats, and that shows you the improvement that we are seeing this season. And it was a, it's now our first time in the top four, Sean, and I think our performances and our results this year warrant that. Not only warrant that we're in the top four, but it's taken so long, and the players are now getting a taste of, of being somewhere that they belong. And you're looking at the results elsewhere this weekend, Chelsea dropping points, Spurs losing... Um, all swings in our favour and I think the players deserve that now they're getting a taste of it and that will just help the momentum that is building in the team I believe 100% 100% and uh, it's wonderful to see it this time of the year but I suppose there's always talking points and Marcus Rashford's omission was about as key a talking point as the media could have asked <laughs> for now obviously it's since emerged that a snooze button might have contributed to a bit of tardiness on Mr Rashford's part but that aside, just how impressed are you with Eric Ten Hag and his insistence that the club comes before the name? Look, you, you look at his treatment of, of Rashford there at the weekend and it was a bit of a slap in the wrist. And I think what happened with Alejandro Granacho earlier on in the summer and how he kind of gave him the cold shoulder at the time and he wasn't getting minutes. And then when he changed his attitude, he's in the first team, he's getting his opportunities. You can't do something like that and then let a key player off the hook. It has to be one rule for all when it comes to a club like Manchester United, when Ten Hag is trying to come into a dressing room and fix mistakes that previous managers made and kind of letting players walk around like they own the place. And that just can't happen. Now, Rashford, when I, when I seen the news break that he was taking out the team or, or acts for a disciplinary, disciplinary, disciplinary issue, um, I kind of laughed because a lot of people on Twitter were kind of jumped into the, the worst case scenario that he could have done something really bad. But Rashford's character, you know, you, I just kind of felt it was probably late for training or, or something along those lines, which it yeah. was. Um, but yeah, if it's one rule for one, it has to be for all. Um, team meetings are important. And no matter what the excuse is, if the manager says at the start of the season, if you're late, 
um, you face the consequence. That's just it. And I think ten um, to credit to to Rashford too, Sean, which I think we should touch on, is his response. Um, it was a perfect response. He came off the bench at half time. Took him a while to get into the game, but he, he showed his explosive best and, and turned the game on its head. Not only that, he was unlucky, I think, to not get a second goal because um, I know the ball bounced off his, his, his arm and handball, but if it didn't and it bounced off his chest, it still would have ended up in the back of the net, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I just want to touch on one thing first because obviously you get the conspiracy theorists and it was something that you, you drew mention to with the various different... I suppose, reasoning as to why he was out of the team. I had heard one that apparently he was looking at running down his contract and this inadvertently was going to cause an issue for him. But um, no, look, I mean, he, he overslept. He, he took it on the chest. And as you said, he'd inevitably come off the bench, scored a winner and had that second disallowed. Now, I do think that there's a fundamental flaw with the way this is running in terms of handballs. Um, fair enough, I can see why it's not a goal. And ultimately, I probably agree that it's not a goal. But then you have a situation in the game as well. I, I, I won't be able to... Actually, it might have been Nathan Collins. But we took a shot and basically the ball was stopped because it was... The, I think it was Nathan Collins. His hand was down with yeah, his side. Now, there was nothing he could do about it. But in a similar facet, there was nothing that Rashford could do about it. So you can't have one rule for one and one rule for another. If you're going to disallow a goal for a handball, then surely there has to be some sort of a further inspection due about the possibility of a penalty in the other aspect. Yeah, you could argue on both sides that depending on the scenario that depending on the referee, I guess that the the benefit of doubt goes to either defender or the forward in in any situation. And it's interesting when you see in a game how, the defender gets away with it, but the, the forward doesn't. Then you see from the perspective, the referee is clearly giving the benefit out to, to the defender. Um, the following week, it could be the complete opposite. You know, it could, it could go against us. It's the inconsistencies in, in, in that really frustrate, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's the inconsistency. And that's what pissing people off too. Not only that, but with VAR, it just takes too long. You know, yeah. when, it, when it first came in, I was kind of open-minded about it that, right, there will be falls and over a period of time, we, we, we'd iron them out and they'd be fixed and it'll, the game will improve for it. But I really don't think so. Like, it just takes too long. It takes the life out of the game as well. And then a lot of weeks we see this season, the Premier League, not just Manchester United, but other games, it's not getting decisions right half the time. Yeah, it's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Considering that there's people that are literally tasked with that. That's their goal. That's what they have to do for the 90 minutes. And yet there can still be contentious decisions being made. It's, there, it, it needs an entire revamp. Look, there is good in it, but I think the negatives are outweighing the positives with it. And it's something that really, really has to be looked at in dramatic fashion because it's a farce. Not, not only that, I, I thought something that was, it was mentioned to me at the weekend after the United game, was, I thought it was quite interesting, um, that with the World Cup and one of the biggest talking points was the, the stoppage time and minutes added on and how mm. it, it kind of was deemed a bit excessive. But at the weekend, the, the commentators touched on it too. The referee only added on five minutes at Molyneux um, and he arguably could have added on seven or eight. And in the Premier League, at least, that responsibility of, of adding up the minutes is is down to the referee, which I think is just crazy. You know, in, in a day and age when 
they bring in technology like VAR to apparently, you know, cut the responsibilities of referees and to make their job easier and to aid them. Why haven't they got someone um, in fucking the room that they do VAR in or in the stands counting up the right minutes that they should add on for, for stoppage time? I know it was fine for United at the weekend because the five minutes added on, we were delighted with it. But I'm just saying it's a talking point at the moment, stoppage time, and we're talking about referees. Shouldn't there be someone in the stands or something to calculate the right amount of stoppage time? Yeah, definitely. And then, again, I think it draws back in the whole inconsistency that we're talking about because you look at City and Everton last night. Now, how many minutes stoppage time was there there? And mm-hmm. I know that there's various different reasons yeah, as to why it was actually there, but you're talking nearly 10 minutes. But I suppose, look, in hindsight as well, I was maybe getting a bit sentimental with that because I was missing the World Cup. So that maybe brought me back a small little bit. Um, drawn on the game itself, Dale. Rashford now has 15 goal contributions in 22 games this season. Like, that's tremendous. He's a bit of all right as Marcus this season, isn't he? Yeah, he's back showing his best. And I think Ten Hag deserves a lot of credit for that. Maybe someone else deserves a bit of a mention who we don't hear a lot of people talking about just yet is Benny McCarthy. You know, he's gone in to to help work with the, the forward players and strikers and that. And, you know, last season we were looking at Rashford and there was a lot of United fans out there that were kind of questioning whether... It, you know, is he is he completely kind of shunt? Is he is it time to move on? It's a new contract coming around. Should we extend it? Blah blah blah. Well, you know, it's a totally different conversation now, Sean. He's he's totally you know back to his best. He's scoring goals, and like I mentioned at the start of this podcast, he was unlucky not to have two to his name yesterday. But when he got when he gets into the flow, I'm not. I don't want to compare him to to Kylian Mbappe because every we all know Kylian Mbappe is is miles ahead of Marcus Rashford. But there are similarities, and when he gets that, when he starts exploding in games, defenders just can't can't control him, and they don't know what to do with him. and And that's completely different to what we've seen last season. This this was a forward who just could not things couldn't click for him. Defenders are getting the better of him every single week. Now when he's full of confidence, whatever Ten Hag has said to him or done with him, it's working. And I think that's why Ten Hag had the authority to give him the slap on the wrist at the weekend. Because Rashford is, is well aware after working on the previous managers that things things haven't always been going his way. Right now they are under Ten Hag. So I think he's gonna listen to him rather than, you know, take it take it as a as an, as a, kind of a bad thing. Oh, no, no, I don't think he's going to take it as a bad thing whatsoever. And I suppose before really, really fine-tuning on Rashford and the performances that he has, I think Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw spoke afterward and he he made specific reference to the fact that previously certain players might have been getting away with doing whatever they wanted mm. and that it's exactly what's required now that people are being addressed. And this is being... Take Ronaldo as well, though. I think so. I think yeah. so. And he did it with a smile on his face and it was beautiful to see. But in, in the context with Rashford, his performances are meriting goal contributions. And it's for a number of reasons. Obviously, his pace and what he is capable of achieving when he's on that defensive line and ready to break that defensive line. There is very few players that have the similar capability to that. And that's why Mbappe is constantly put into the conversation because the two of them have that similar ilk where they wait on the line. And when they break, there's little to no defenders in world mm. football that are able to keep up with them. I suppose it draws back to several years ago when Jose Mourinho, I suppose, critiqued him. That said he's fantastic when he's got space to run in behind. But when he's playing against a low back, he's kind of like a deer in headlights. 
I think that even in that aspect of its game, it's changing now because obviously he's been working on his physique for several seasons. You've now got a guy that's big and strong and you could see it in that goal that he scored yesterday Absolutely, that he yeah. that he was able to, to, to have that one-on-one contest with the defender, put the defender in his arse and put the ball in the back of the net. And it's just, I think it's, it's almost becoming an expectation with Rashford now because he's so confident. But as well as that, it's also... I think it's very important to reference the fact that he was indeed carrying a very serious injury last year. And people maybe want to disregard that now, but it was correct. He was carrying a very, very serious injury. And I know that there was a lot of humming and hawing about whether or not he should have gone with international duty. But at the end of the day, you have a fellow who's maybe not 100% fit. He's getting a lot of criticism from fans and from sections of the media. You see a total difference now. And you can even see it on his face because he's a guy that wears his heart in his sleeve. And ultimately, when he is happy, it's very, very obvious that he's happy. But when he's obviously when he's not happy, you can see it in his face. You can see it in his expressions. You can see how he plays on the field. So right now, I think we have a Marcus Rashford that is playing very, very close to his peak powers. And obviously, the goal contributions are proving this. And I think he can go on further. And that's been emphasized as well, not only by Luke Shaw, but Casemiro yesterday, who are referencing that he can genuinely go on and he can break so many records. Mm. He said he would be one of the top five players in the world if he if he kept going. But but just but just on that, you mentioned his strength, and there's two big aspects to Rashford's game that I think I've noticed quickly since he started working with Ten Hag and, and Benny McCarthy this year. Um, you mentioned his strength, and that's obviously one that he used to his, his benefit at, at Molineux. But his heading, um, we've seen at times this season that his heading has vastly improved. And like these are all elements to, to his game that are just going to bring more goals. Now, looking at his tally last season, um, it was shambolic for, for a forward. And we know he was going through, through a rough time with carrying injuries and whatnot. But Ten Hag recently set him a, a target of 20 goals in the Premier League. Um, he wants 20 goals from him in the Premier League, which I thought reading it last week or so, uh, it seems a bit of a stretch given where he's at now and where he needs to be. But but since then, um, I can see why Ten Hag said that in the media and had no problem saying it because he's booming. Oh, three he's goals booming. in the World Cup, three goals since he returned, unlucky not to have four. You know, and I, against Bournemouth, I fancy him to score again. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, he's played 16 times already. Well, he's at least had 16 appearances in the Premier League this season. He's got six goals and three assists. So nine contributions, but six goals and 16 appearances. But more importantly, you're looking over the period, we'll say, of the last five game weeks when we played West Ham. So you're talking West Ham, Villa, Fulham, Forest, Wolves. He's got three goals and an assist. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it is impressive. And you also must factor into it that he only played half a game against Wolves. And as we touched upon, had that goal disallowed. So... He's definitely progressing in the right manner and it's tremendous to see. And hopefully we can lock him down for the foreseeable future because we genuinely have something special there. But this is not new, Dale. You, myself and yourself have been discussing this for quite some time. So I know we have, but just to kind of modernise it up a bit, I wanted to mention yeah. Cody Gakpo and the fact that United have missed out on him. Now, I spoke to you earlier and we, we both agreed that you know, we're both quite happy with Marcus on that left wing. Um, and we also have Granacho coming yes. through as well. You know, does that cushion the blow? And do you think there was a bit of hype and a bit of kind of, what do we say, peer pressure put on Manchester United in, in the past few weeks, months? Because Cody Gakpo is playing the Eredivisie. He's banging goals in. Um, in the Eredivisie, he starts on the left. He's 
not your traditional centre forward. But at the World Cup, he kind of played as traditional centre forward for the Netherlands and, and scored three goals like Rashford. But do you think there was a bit of pressure put on United to kind of sign a player, although it's, it, it's quite clear that what we need is a traditional centre forward or, as you might say, a number nine? Yeah, I think there's always going to be pressure. I think there's always going to be pressure, particularly when you consider over the last, we'll say, 18 months, you've seen Mason Greenwood, Edison Cavani, Cristiano Ronaldo all leave the club and no number nine come in instead of them. You've touched exactly on what it is because Cody Gakpo, to the outside world, is a fantastically talented attacker, but he is a left-sided player that cuts in and it's something that we have an abundance of. Now, ultimately, I know for international, he has featured as a striker. I just don't see him featuring in the same, I suppose, prominence and the same strength and the same confidence that he does up front than when he is playing on the left-hand side. And something that I touched upon previously with you, I feel that if you bring in another player of that ilk, ultimately, it's Garnacho that's going to suffer because there's going to have to be some sort of rotationary purposes on it. And Garnacho would be the likely person who suffers. And then the naysayers that are putting pressure on the inevitability of signings will turn tail and start blaming Eric Ten Hag, start blaming various other elements within the club for missing out on another talent in Garnacho, just as we've done in recent years with the likes of Jimmy Garner, even if you go back as far as Angel Gomez. You know, these are players that need game time and they're getting to a certain point of their career where they have to be playing, maybe not week in, week out, but to be getting cameos. And that's what Garnacho is getting. And ultimately, if we brought in another left-sided player, Garnacho is going to suffer. One of two ways, he's either going to be shipped out on the right-hand side where he's not going to deliver the element performances that he needs or he's not going to get the game time at all. Ultimately, I think the club are under pressure to bring in a number nine. And I suppose if you're looking at where we are right now in a top four position where we appear to have all the cards being stacked in our favour, this is now the point where you should be backing the manager and trying to really overemphasize the point that we got to have for now we yeah. can solidify it as to whether or not we're going to actually see that come to fruition, given everything that's happening in the background with any hopeful sale or any investors, it, it remains to be seen. It might very well be a loan deal, but personally I'm not upset that Gakpo did not come to the club. Not that he's not a fantastic player, but we've seen it in our own side obviously as well recently with players contributing quite a lot of goals in the Eredivisie and then not necessarily been able to contribute that over in England you look at Memphis Depay and he was generating every bit as much if not more attention than Cody Gakpo was and ultimately we saw that when he came to England it's a different kettle of fish so putting all our eggs in a left-sided player that could potentially play as a striker was something that I was never totally keen on. Is, is there anyone in particular you're thinking about? Because that's, that, that's my problem at the moment. There's, there's no one that really jumps out. Since City bought Haaland, you know, it kind of wiped the market out of, of, of centre-forwards or strikers or, or forward options even because you look at the price that Liverpool had to pay for Darwin Nunes at the, in the summer. Now, I, like, I know a lot of people are slating Darwin Nunes at the moment, Liverpool forward, but... You know, I, I think there's a bit about him. I think there, there's obviously areas that he needs to improve, but I do think he can be a good player. That doesn't excuse the amount of money that was paid for him, but I just think that that showed you how crazy the market is at the moment, that a player that still has so much to learn, so much room to develop, that he went for what? Did they, did they pay £80 million for him or £70 million for him or something crazy? 
Well, they'll tell you that it was much less than that because it's not going to factor the add-ons onto it. But yeah, they paid a very, very high amount for him. But with Nunes, I also don't look at him as a striker. I think no. Nunes is a very, very good example of what I'm saying about Cody Gakpo. Nunes is a wide player that people look at and think this is a guy that we can mould into a striker. Yeah, And that's exactly what you would have been doing with Cody Gakpo. In terms of who is available right now, there's not a whole pile, particularly in a January transfer window. And that's why you're seeing names like Alvaro Morata on the loan deal. And it's why you're seeing, I, I suppose, someone even more so, Joao Felix. Now, I know you spoke about Morata and the possibility of this happening quite oh, some time what, ago. What, what's wrong with Morata? Oh, look, Morata's a number nine. You know, he's a, he's a number nine and he's going to come in and he's going to be another body. A workhorse, yeah. yeah and tell, I tell you, you know, the, re- the reason why when I seen those links and I, and I sent you and Brian a text and, you know, I, I got a bit excited is because I think that someone like him, whatever about him scoring goals, because I know he hasn't got the greatest track record in England for doing that, but I think the likes of Rashford and Anthony would really benefit from having a, a centre-forward like, like Murata up front for United. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that... Anthony Martial of holding the ball up and bringing the wide players into it. But Morata is also very shrewd. And we, we saw in the World Cup as well, he's got a very, very fine touch about him. He scored a, he scored a couple of good goals there coming off the bench. Big and goals for Spain. Like, that was something that have, people have said in the past about Morata is that he doesn't show up in the big moments. But in the, not just at this World Cup, but in the recent years for Spain, he scored some important goals. So I think um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I want to go out and sign him in a permanent deal, but if there was a possibility that we could do some deal to get him on loan for the remainder of the season, I'd, I'd be all over that, Sean. Whatever about Felix, but I, w- I would take Morata. Well, look, if it's on loan, it's exactly what it is. We see what Dubravka today has. I mean, it's a pretty bizarre loan move that Dubravka made, but you get a player on loan, you have him for a set period of time. It's going to bring in a player in a position that we require. And ultimately, he has the capability to be able to contribute. He gives us extra bodies and extra options. And look, it 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 to be honest with you, Murata kind of screams the type of deal that the yeah. Glazers would would oversee because they'd probably be able to get it done a whole lot cheaper than the figures that have been quoted around for uh, Joe Felix. Even though I feel personally, if we had any sort of a possibility of bringing Joe Felix to the club, I would be all over that because I think Joe Felix is a tremendously talented player. He's extremely young. I don't think it would take him as long to bed into the side because he's got so many compatriots within the team and a lot of people that are very, very similar in nature to what it is he's, he, he, he grew up with. So I actually feel that Joe Felix would be a tremendous signing and I think he just wants out of Atletico Madrid and away from Diego Simeone as quick as possible. The, the, the one concern, because I, I was thinking about the Joe Felix stuff and I was like, what's gone wrong? What's gone so horribly wrong for him at Atletico Madrid that his relationship with Diego Simone has, has broken down midway through a season that he has to almost get an emergency exit to win the take loans? Why has it gone so wrong? Because you have to question um, player players' personalities, especially when we've signed some players in the past that came with bad personalities. I'm not suggesting that's the case with Joe Felix, but one thing that I, I did see in, in, in looking at his time at Atletico Madrid is availability. He's had lots of injuries and he isn't always available. So that, that's one worry that I see when, if we were to get him on loan to the end of the season, that there's reports suggesting that it would still cost United 16 million because 8, 8 million up front and 8 million then to cover his wages. Well, I suppose to play devil's advocate with that, 
he's been asked to cover every blade of grass half a dozen times in every single game. Yeah, so that, yeah. that, that, that could very well contribute to the reason why there's an availability issue. And also with a player of that sort of quality that he has, I mean, he's, he's proved it against us on European stage. You've seen it on an international stage for Portugal, and you've also seen it in various different stages for Atletico Madrid. If we can get him for 16 million, for the remainder of the season to help shore up any sort of a push for domestic silverware and a top four finish with the possibility of them being able to enhance that for a future deal, I would be all over that. Absolutely all over that. And that's just my take. It doesn't necessarily mean it's correct. I know he's not your your standard number nine. He's very much mm-hmm. in an ilk of a false nine number nine. But I think he is very much underrated in what he actually brings. He's very much two-footed. He's got great technique great ball retention skills, and he's got a fantastic eye for goal. And also, as he proved against us, and I saw it on an international level in the World Cup too, his, his aerial ability is very much underrated for a guy of his size. He's very much able to climb. He's got a great leap on him. And I think he would bet into that side very, very well. And not he's to move He's got one of the best shots in, in football right now as well for, for, for a guy that looks pretty small. Yeah. Um, as they'd say in boxing, he, he packs a big punch. He can he can generate an awful lot of power behind the ball, and he he's what I notice with him from the bit that I watch is it's not only inside of the foot he likes he likes those finessed outside of the foot so he's very much a technical striker of the football, and I like him a lot I like him a lot he also has that bit of doggedness about him so I think it would fit in well with the likes of Anthony Casemiro Bruno and even Licha like that you have this real sort of dogged South American slash Spanish Portuguese just bullshittery about them that just really goes a long way in a game and I suppose that will actually lead me to something that I do want to talk about because I don't want to forget about him we're talking about Casemiro right and just how once again he was in control against Wolves how he's gone in he's assumed that role with consummate ease I mean personally right now I can't think of a better defensive midfielder in the game and even though I think some people may raise an eyebrow because I know there was a lot of people maybe saying that we overpaid I can't help but feel that we've actually underpaid for him here. Yeah, for once, maybe. And Varane think only costs um, south of, of 40 million, too. So, Real Madrid, we, we haven't done bad business with in, in recent years. But, um, but Casemiro, yeah, best defensive midfielder in the world right now. Holding midfielder, without question. Um, there's no one that comes close. Nobody. And just on that, I, I find it hilarious that I found some arguments online about this. And right. Arsenal fans have um they're the ones that kind of have a bit of an issue with that statement because they believe Thomas Partey is um is worthy of a show. So I saw Paul Merson is leading the charge for that one, isn't he? Has he said that? Has Paul Merson said it too? I believe Paul Merson came out and said that he's potentially the best uh, defensive midfielder in the Premier League. I don't want to say anything too um offensive about Paul Merson because I could get in trouble, but I know I know it's a podcast, but um Lay off the whatever, man. <laughs> I um, look, Paddy's a good player, but it just seems to be. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. They come out in leaps and bounds when it comes down to Casemiro because I think so many of them had him rode off before he came. And you know what I think that actually stems from? In recent years, it's, it's often been a situation with Real Madrid that when they have these amazing players, that they let them go when they've had enough of them, when they've used them and that they have no more use for them. But then you look at Casemiro and you're, you're potentially left in a situation where you're wondering, 
how did we actually get him? You know, because he's just that good. And I think there's maybe a little bit of resentment from rival fans and pundits that this guy who is quite clearly still at the peak of his powers has made a decision for whatever particular reason to leave Real Madrid and come to Manchester and we're profiting from it. Yeah, look, he's one of the players when I was over there, the Burnley game in the Cup, and one of the players that I really kind of focused on watching him and watched the way he read the game and that. But players like that don't come around very often. I certainly haven't seen many players that have the capabilities of Casemiro. And it is really like having an extra player on the pitch, especially when for, for some time we've argued that you know, we kind of didn't like seeing two two players holding in midfield and having Scott McTominay and, and Fred both having carrying out those duties. Now we've one player doing it, but to have not only one player doing it, but the best in the business, I'm telling you, is some upgrade. And it's um it, it's a big it's a big reason why we're we're looking more kind of solid defensively. I know people will talk about how good Rafael Varane has been, and how I'd argue that Lisandro Martinez has arguably been the best defender. In the Premier League this season, but Casemiro's role is is a big reason why we're, we're, we look so de- solid defensively. Oh, 100%. And I think, obviously, touching on defence, a special mention to Aaron Bissaka, a run of three straight runs in a game, not looked out of place. Dallo is going to be known at the bit to get back in the start in 11, but you think he's going to have it all his own way, considering just how well Wambasaka has been playing over the last three games? Yeah, I, I do think so. Look, Wambasaka. To be honest, in his last three games, I'd argue he's been faultless um, in his game. Look, he's been really, really good. But I just get the impression that these performances are to, are for the transfer window, are to get him a new club. Um, and I know I understand that he is um, he, he's pushing almost for a move back to London. doesn't want to go anywhere else. And I think the performances right now definitely warrant interest, which is good news for Manchester United because I think... Um, we need, we we still need to sell some players, and one of those is Juan Basaka, definitely. Tuesday now sees the arrival of Bournemouth, further opportunity to build on recent form that we've seen, which has obviously helped us climb the table. You know, since the capitulation at City, which we shan't talk about too much, mm-hmm. we have lost one, drawn two, and won twelve. Now Bournemouth are three games without a goal. Obviously, as Everton saw, you can't take them for granted. I think they put seven past Everton over the space of two games. But we have a real opportunity to continue momentum here, don't we? 100%. Look, these games that we've had after the World Cup, I think, have really kind of suited us. You know, to come back, have a game against Burnley, which we had no problems with. We didn't play particularly well, but we, we got the job done. Um, then a game against Forest, who I think are an awful side and will be definitely back in the Championship next season. Um, and then Wolves, who had a bit of a bit of an upward curve uh, under Lopetegui since he's come in, but they're still relegation bound. And now a game against Burma. These are all games that really on paper, we should be just pushing these teams away. And when you look at what's happening elsewhere in, in the league table and, and the teams that we're competing with are dropping points, you know, it's it, it's just time for us to get points on the board. And I suspect against Burma, we'll get another three. Um, because look, Games would be trickier. Um, I don't expect Manchester United to go the next while winning all their games because there will be some slips along the way. This team still has some way to go and still some things to learn, but there's definitely progression. And I'm now actually watching games, for example, upcoming one against Burnham beforehand. I'm confident that we'll get three points. You know, there was times even uh, maybe two months ago, games we should be winning. I still wasn't confident because this United team weren't 
much weren't convincing. But now I think we are see, starting to see some some Ten Hag ball. Uh, and one one player I want to mention is um, is Luke Shaw, who's becoming a bit of a daily blind because you know daily blind played centre back. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. And Luke Shaw has very similar capabilities as we've seen this season, and he really surprised me, Sean, because the the way he's almost played as an inverted um, fullback this season, and his duties in around midfield, and the way he's he's very very good in possession, and he's I think he's maturing as a player. Um, I really enjoyed seeing him in this centre back role, and it, it just opens up um, the options that Ten Hag has going forward that he can call upon different players. Now, it is also a statement and perhaps a kick in the teeth to Harry Maguire, who um, I'm amazed to see some pundits are kind of taking defence by this and kind of saying, oh, it's shameful what's happening, Harry Maguire. Manchester United are keeping clean sheets. What's the fucking problem? No, I agree they with you. Harry Maguire was in the team last season. Is it because he plays for England or what? Like, I'm not for bashing Harry Maguire because he gets a hard time. But where's all this coming from? United are doing really well. Luke Shaw deserves credit. Ten Hag deserves credit for putting faith in players. I think we might be seeing the the second coming of Daily Blind. Do you know what's fantastic with Shaw? It's it's a it's a willingness to just assume a role that is provided by his manager, not complain about it, and go in and complete it to the very best of his ability. We're looking at Luke Shaw right now, who is at the peak of his powers something that's really, really coming to the forefront, which people are now starting to realise, is just how much he actually progresses the football. He progresses yeah. He progresses the football better than 99.9% of the players in, 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 in the game, not just the Premier League. His ball progression is phenomenal. To think that he could cut inside from that inverted fullback role that you made mention to, to sit as a centre-back and slightly taller than, than Martin is, obviously. But, I mean, his aerial ability was very, very good. He was great in his jewels. He was great in his ball distribution. He was comfortable under pressure. I mean, he looked like he's played there his whole life. And this is further testament to not only his ability, but the understanding of the player's strengths and weaknesses that Ten Hag has. He was asked about Harry Maguire after the game and asked why he didn't play. He specifically made mention to the fact that Luke Shaw's technical ability was something that they were looking at against a very dogged Wolves side when they were trying to build out a defence. So whether or not he's just made a decision that Harry is not there for the long term and he has decided that we need to look elsewhere, maybe it's one of those glorified statements where manager makes a statement to the the hierarchy above him that this is the option I have to use. I have to take a fullback and I have to play them at centre-back. Or maybe he just liked Daly Blint and he just wants to recreate it at Manchester United. I don't know, but... Whatever it is, I'm delighted to see Luke Shaw there. I'm delighted to see him playing. I'm delighted to see him smiling. Very similar to Rashford. He's another one who wears his heart in his sleeves. When he's happy, it's very, very obvious that he's happy. And in terms of how he actually looks, he looks about as healthy as he has been in recent years. He's strong. He looks fit. He looks athletic. And I think he's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And very much deserves the mention that you're after giving him to him. Obviously, you made... Benjamin too, sorry, as well as that. He's one of the players that actually played a lot of minutes at the World Cup. Um, and he's, he's come back fine. You know, he's, he was one of England's starting players. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's also adding further kind of nails into that board about Harry Maguire, who was there in the same tournament, in the same team, playing the same football. They come back and Shaw can slot straight in and Maguire is only getting five-minute cameos off the bench. 
And obviously the uh, the camera is zooming in and making sure he gets the captain's armband on him just when he's coming on the field every single time. Ten but, Hag had the Southgate Fulu doll somewhere close by. <laughs> but it's like the, the run of football is required because obviously we're seeing those players getting those cameos off the bench. We've got Bournemouth coming up on Tuesday, but there's a real sort of heavy turnaround in games. Three days after that, we got Everton in the third round of the FA Cup. Four days after that, you've got Charlton at home in the quarterfinal of the League Cup. Four days after that, you've got City coming to Old Trafford in the league. And then that finishes off, obviously, a busy period with a trip to, to London to take on Arsenal on the 22nd of January. So it's good to see a bunch of players that are willing to put in a shift in whatever sort of side that they come in, whatever sort of role and duties that they're given upon them. And obviously, we, we seem to be fairly healthy at the moment as well. There's not massive injuries ruling us out. So it puts us in good stead. And like you said, I see this game coming up against Bournemouth on Tuesday. And um, I see it as a real opportunity to further add to that goal difference that we're building on. It wasn't so long ago we were looking at zero. I think we're up to what now? Four, are we? Are we plus four goal difference? I think it's plus four, yeah. yeah. It reads, it reads a bit better, but we need to get double digits now. That's, that's the next, next milestone. Some questions here. We got Steve from Cheshire on Twitter. He wants to hear from Dale directly. Right, and he's touching back on something that we've already discussed. Oh, this, this, this sounds a bit personal. This is personal. I think you've done this fella a disservice. But he thinks, he wants to know, do you think that Dallow will see his place under threat considering the performances of Aaron Wan-Bissak? And obviously, we've obviously touched on that. But I suppose what he's maybe touching upon with Dallow coming back yeah. from injury, yeah. do you think his place is under threat in, in the short term, I suppose? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think so. When it comes to Dallow, I think this season... He's almost cemented that right back role, and I think the the question that I have about the right back role is: Can Dallo prove between now and the end of the season that he can be again consistent and really cement down that role for the long term future? Because Ten Hag, I think, will want to to move on Wan Bissaka um, this month. I think he'd want to also try and get in um, a backup option. Whether the question for Manchester United is do they get a backup option or do they try and get a better option than Dallow, I think. But I don't think um, his, his position is under threat. I think Dallow offers way, way more to his game. The one thing about Juan Basaka is yes, he's performing well, but you know going forward he's not the full package. Um and that's just that's not gonna change, I don't think. Me personally, I've developed a bit of a, a bit of a soft spot for Dallow. I think he has come on leaps and bounds. I think a consistent run of games has shown his qualities. And also at the World Cup, he dislodged Cancelo from that starting team as well. So I think it's now not only at a domestic level, but at an international level. He has proved his credentials. And I think that he's only scratching the surface. I think his ceiling is so, so high. And I honestly believe we've got, I suppose, a beyond talented player. I think we have an exceptionally talented player who can achieve great things for this football club. And I'm not trying to get ahead of myself in saying that. I've just, I've seen enough to see the bit of talent and I see you the progression. you proven right. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but, 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 but no, no, of course. No, 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 of course. Because not, not just you, but Manchester, I've proven right. They went down oh, yeah. the bottom, they spent big money on a young player. And, and as a United fan, I love seeing young players develop at the club and go on to become world beaters. I want not more than that. But I think, I do think the question is still out there that do United need a backup option or a long-term option? Because personally, I want between now and the end of the season to decide. What, I like, what I've seen from Diego Dallo so far up until this point of the season, I've been really impressed by it, really impressed. 
But I think with so many players that we've had down the years, consistency is a problem. And I think that's the one thing Ten Hag is trying to demand with players. I think that's why certain players haven't got their new contract offers just yet. And he's kind of biding his time a bit on that. He wants to be sure. But Dallow, look, right now I would be in the camp that, yeah, maybe he is the long-term option. I am impressed by him, but I don't think Juan Bissaka will be keeping him out of the team. Well, he definitely needs competition there. That's for yeah. sure. No, yeah. uh, no, every player. Every player in the team. If you're, if you're trying to build the mentality that the Ten Hag is trying to build, he has to have room to take a player out of the team and have someone else to come in. has to. Because what happens if next week, for example, Dallow decides, decides to fucking oversleep? Or, or maybe before the derby. Before the derby. What happens if Dallow fucking oversleeps? And then he yep. has to drop him out of the team. You know? We haven't, 100%. I'm, I'm not sure my confident about Wan-Bissaka starting against City. You know, in the past few games um, in which Wan-Bissaka played well, I don't want to discredit him, but Burnley, Nottingham Forest, a Wolves side in relegation zone, I'm just saying, is that his level? Yeah, perfectly, perfectly uh, valid. And also, it would be very interesting if someone who was a key member at starting eleven did oversleep before City. It'd certainly test the manager's resolve there, so it would. Um, another question coming through, Matt on Facebook, asking, do we need to get a number nine in during the January transfer window to solidify top four? And if so, who? Well, I suppose, again, the guys here are obviously singing off the same hymn sheet that we are because obviously it's something we've talked about, we've just spoken about it. Personally, I feel there's enough momentum and we have enough attacking talent in the squad that I think we can continue this charge toward maintaining a top four. I think if we really want to cement ourselves as a side that is building towards something, building toward a successful title challenge, and I'm not saying this year, I'm just saying that we're a side who have intent on developing and cultivating that title challenge for maybe for next year or the following year, then yes, we need to bring in a number nine. Certainly, if we added a number nine, as we spoke about previously in the context of a Jao Felix and Alvaro Morata on loan, it's giving another option. It's giving us another available body because obviously Anthony Martial's track record is somewhat suspect. Um, but for me, I think we're heading in the right track to be able to get that top four. I just feel like adding a number nine is going to take us to the next level. What do you think? 100% is what the team lacks most. 100%. Uh, I think I think everyone can see that we're a hundred miles away from 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 competing for a for a league title. But that hundred miles would be cut short if we get a striker to get twenty or so goals a season twenty five. Absolutely. And the very very last one we'll touch on here, Jimmy coming through on Twitter. Jimmy Smacks asks, "What is the highest finish that we can anticipate this season?" I'm gonna say. To finish, there's a perfect question to finish this up. Um, why can't we get second? Why can't we get second? That like, I, I, look, it's a push. I wouldn't bet on it. But why can't we? Because I, I do think Arsenal are going to implode. I've been saying this for months, and I know they they keep winning matches, but they've got some big games coming up, and I don't think that they're going to con- continue this to the end of the season. I just don't. I know City quite interestingly. They're they're showed this season against the. A pretty average lead side that they can drop points. So, um, I don't know. We're only four points off City, as you yeah. mentioned earlier on. You think they're they're the team that we should be trying to catch more than anything? 
That's exactly what I think. Because, look, Arsenal right now have played 16 games. They've won 14 of them, drawn one, lost one. They've dropped five points from 16 games. That, to me, with this current Arsenal side, is not an accurate reflection on what they are. I think what's happening right now is an anomaly. And I don't say that bitterly, and I'm not taking away from what they've achieved, because obviously they have achieved it themselves. They've done so with some great football. But I don't think this Arsenal squad is is that. I think it is an anomaly. And I think ultimately, if we want to really gauge where we're going as a team, we have to gauge ourselves against Manchester City. And as you said, we're currently four points behind them. We're two points off Newcastle with a game in hand. We're two points ahead of Spurs and with a game in hand over them. I mean, we are four points ahead of Liverpool. We're currently seven points ahead of Chelsea. So there's obvious progression there. And I don't see any reason why we can't look at second place as a viable option, particularly when we have City coming to Old Trafford in the next two weeks. Why not? Well, look, it's, look like I said, I wouldn't put my money on it. But second place, it's not impossible. Um, if I was putting my money on it, it would be a go third. Good. Shall sure, we leave it at that? If you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, you can do so via my handle at Sean Connolly85. Mr. Dale O'Donnell, head honcho, how are people going to start ranting at you on Twitter? <laughs> you can get me on Twitter at O'Donnell Dale. And of course, you can follow Stretty News at Stretty News. Sports Social Podcast Network.